Good morning. Um, it is a privilege for me to be able to share God's word with you this morning. You know, today we will be exploring the story of Israel's judge, Gideon, as an example of how God uses unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. You know, uh, the title of my sermon this morning is From Nervous to Courageous. So the backstory is the Israelites have finally inhabited the land promised to them by God through Abraham and his descendants. In the era of the judges, there is no federal government led by anointed kings. So the Israelites form a loose alliance of tribes with common lineage. So before entering Canaan, the people have been warned that seasons of obedience to God would be rewarded with his blessing, but that blatant disobedience would result in severe punishment. You see that in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But during the era of the judges, there are multiple cycles where a season of prosperity gives way to rebellion, which leads to punishment through the means of foreign oppression, now, the people then cry out to God in repentance, and a judge, or a rescuer, you could say, is sent to lead the people against the foreign oppressor. So, you know, you see on the screen here the cycle of rebellion and how it works, you know, from rebellion to punishment to repentance to rescue. You know, maybe you see that in your own life today. Um... I know when I've done a spiritual timeline, I look back at my life and I see, you know, how I would have known what God's will is, refused to do it, then come back, realize that I'm under some pressure because, you know, life beats me up. Then I choose to repent before him and then he comes and rescues me. You know, you, you can't tell that tale better. So I think for us, you know, we can learn a thing or two as we look at Israel. But this morning we're going to look at Israel's judge, Gideon. And the question we're going to be answering this morning is how does God turn the nervous to courageous? All right. I mean, there are many lessons that we can learn, but I hope that this is going to help you this morning as you consider your own walk with God and your life with Him. You know, um, we're going to look at three simple steps, which is what I believe is simple. Um, one, First, he meets us. And then, secondly, he tests us. And third, he fills us. All these are going to be viewed in um, Judges chapter 6. And uh, most of what we're going to look at this morning is from Judges 6. Uh, but it also goes into chapter 7 as well. But before I pray, I'm going to read um, Judges chapter 6 in a little bit. But I'm going to pray first. And um, we're going to get into the text this morning. So please pray with me at this time. Our great Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity we have to read your word and to glean from it, God, the many lessons, God, that you have in store for us. I pray that whatever golden nuggets that are there, whatever uh, spiritual truths that you want us to hear this morning, that you would allow your spirit to move through me at this time. Thank you again for the privilege, God, for us to be able to read your word and to be able to, to understand what it says to us 
even though it was read or written many, many, many years ago. We thank you for the preservation of it, and we pray that God we would honor you by our obedience to you and to your will for our lives. Thank you for this time. We love you. It's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, read with me in Judges chapter 6. In verse 1 it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them on their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to, the, to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring you, or bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. It's amazing how God actually waited on Gideon, right? It goes on in verse 19. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord torched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. 
fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. You got to wonder what Gideon was thinking because he thought he was going to die and the angel of the Lord had to reassure him that he was not going to. Talk about a reverential fear. In verse 24, So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's hood, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar for the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the town's people, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to this to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever, whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and all into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. In verse 39, he says, Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time made the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Do you ever compare yourself to people who are out there doing great things for God? 
and think, you know, God could never use me like that. I'm not courageous and dynamic. I'm not a natural leader like so-and-so. I don't have much talent like that sister. And public speaking makes me sick to the stomach, even if it's on a screen. Well, guess what? You know, that makes you just like Abraham, the cowardly liar, Moses, the stutterer, David, the scrawny shepherd, Esther, the orphan, Jonah, the fish food, and Peter, the impulsive apostle who kept putting his foot in his mouth. You know, when God looks for someone to use, he usually chooses the most unlikely person. And I think this story tells that very, very well. You know, today's story is another tale of God plucking a nobody from nowhere and using him to do something heroic. In the story about Gideon, we're going to see that God used him even though he had issues. And here are a few of them. And maybe you could relate to Gideon this morning. You know, he came from a lousy family background. Maybe you feel crippled by your childhood. Do you have trouble moving on from patterns you learned in your home of origin? He had a poor self-esteem. Maybe you have issues with feeling worthy. Do you compare yourself with others or to others and, allow, and always come up short? He lived in fear of bullies. Are you a hider? And I'm not talking about people who beat you up. Eh? I'm talking about bullies in terms of verbal bullies. You know, and in this case, we're looking to look at the spiritual aspect of it. You know, do you deal with fear or anxiety in regards to the situation or a person that keeps on or keeps you closed, cocooned or shut down? You know, he was a chronic warrior. You know, do you worry if you don't have something to worry about? You know, he caved into peer pressure. Maybe you live your life so that others will approve of you. Are you afraid of criticism, disapproval, or abandonment? I don't know about you, but I can relate to so many of these things. You know, if you can relate to any of these, then this message is for you this morning. If you have any of these issues like Gideon had and think that God can't use you because of that, you're wrong. We're going to see how God transforms a nervous man to a courageous man. You know, Gideon was a cowardly nobody, yet he was called to lead the nation of Israel against its mighty foe, the Midianites, in one of the most miraculous victories ever. It's like David and Goliath, right? Oh, Gideon met a big enemy at a great disadvantage, but he triumphed because of his obedience to God and faith in his word. Although he is included in faith's hall of fame in Hebrews 11, the end of his story, though, is a sobering one. And a reminder that a great victory does not guarantee a life of spiritual fruitfulness. One can detour from the journey of faith and never get back. So let's get into it. You know, how does God turn the nervous to courageous? That's the question we're answering this morning. Well, step one, the meeting. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11 to 12, it says what? The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to, the, to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress 
to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You know, the nation of Israel was at the lowest point. They had abandoned God and engaged in idol worship again. So they were spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, and economically bankrupt. You know, the Midianites invaded with a force of 135,000 men, forcing the Israelites to flee and hid and hide in caves. And it's amazing, right? You know, it doesn't that feel like the world sometimes? They're coming at you with, with so much. You know, but the truth is when trouble came, Israel didn't have a relationship with God in place. So they couldn't stand up to the bullies. They just ran and hid. You know, are you having trouble with bullies? Feeling like hiding instead of fighting against wrong? Not talking about physical bullies here, by the way, right? You know, you need to be connected with God. You know, what's bullying you this morning? And is it a co-worker who would not respect your convictions and use foul language, maybe, around you all the time? You know, do you even say anything anymore? Or have you given up and given in? You know, friends online calling you names because you refuse to look at porn and be like most of your classmates. I'm talking to the teenagers mostly here. You know, the world and its beliefs can be a bully to us. Everyone is pushing their own agenda, telling you what to believe and what not to believe, pushing their value systems and beliefs which are contrary to God's word. You know, we must always remember that Satan is the one behind anything that is not of God. So, from the very beginning, he not only questioned God's order, this is Satan, but he also imposed his own views on Eve when he asked her this one simple question. I mean, look at Genesis 3, just to, to see that question there. It says what? Now the serpent was more crafty, in verse 1, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See that question? Hmm. You know, the woman in verse 2 said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. And then he says, well, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, Satan's bullying is not always in your face, but a lot of times it is subtle. You know, he attacks our belief system and by so weakens our faith in God. So what do we do when confronted by our enemy? You know, the angel of the Lord meets Gideon, tra <laughs> tracking him down as he stealthily trushes grain inside a wine press right, which he is doing to keep from being robbed and killed maybe from the Midianites. He's hiding out, you know. You know, that is equivalent to maybe sending a meme about Jesus instead of asking someone if they would like to study the Bible. 
you know, or seeing someone in sin and refusing to call them out, as the Bible says, just to avoid conflict. You know, we hide from the spiritual things, but we just try to kind of exist. That's not what God wants us to do. That's not what he wants for us as disciples. You know, the angel's greeting was a word of encouragement to Gideon, a word of prophecy spoken into his heart to reveal his new character into which he's about to be changed. You know, when God meets you in your situation, he doesn't come with harsh words or criticism or accusation. He starts his transformational work in your life with a word of encouragement. He sees your potential and he wants you to see it also. Have you been given a message of hope, an idea of what you could be that just blows your mind maybe because you don't see how it could possibly be true of you? And I'll tell you, you know, um, before coming into the ministry full-time, you know, I, I didn't think I had what it takes, honestly speaking. You know, and I always remember Tony, you know, telling me, you can do this. And, you know, I have had to battle that idea in my mind that mm -mm, I can't. But over the years, I've been encouraged, you know, by you guys, you know, by the men and women whom God has put in my life, brothers and sisters across the Caribbean, you know, who've encouraged me. You know, I've, I've been encouraged by my wife, you know, who's really been a great support to me, encouraging me, no, honey, you can do this. You can continue. You know, but the truth is, is that that's God. You know, God is the one who put these people in my life to encourage me. The times when I feel as though I can't, they are the ones who, who came, but it's through God's spirit inside of them that they were able to speak, you know, to me and encourage me with the things that, that God wants me to do. You know, the Bible says that we become new creations, doesn't it? See? But we are also being transformed. And, and that's an amazing thing to consider because it means that God views us where we're at. But he understands that, guess what? It's a process that he's going to continue to teach us and call us higher that he sees down the road. He's not focused on you right now. He's thinking, man, look at what you can become. You know, look at the great things you can do. And that's what he's focused on, transforming us. So, you know, what follows in the text is a conversation between the angel and Gideon, where Gideon protests and the angel of God responds. So let's see how many of these things you have said to God when you're worried about a situation and what God has to say in response. And this is Gideon to begin, verse 13. Why has all this happened to us? He's questioning God's fairness, right? Why me? He goes on, where are all his wonders, right? He's questioning God's power now. Why won't he help? He goes on, now the Lord has abandoned us. Right? He's questioning God's what? Faithfulness. Where is he when I need him? You know, then God replies. What does he say? He says, go in the strength you have. Hmm. You know, you've got God's strength at your disposal. Act as if you do. Right? Am I 
not sending you, God says. You know, when God sends you, you cannot fail. That's what God is trying to communicate to him. You know, Gideon replies in verse 15, My clan is the weakest. I came from a poor family background is what he's saying, right? And I'm sure we could all relate, right? Or most of us, I should say. He says, I am the least in my family. So he says, what? Am I? I, I I'm, I'm the runtiest of them all, God. You know, my family, <laughs> we're nobodies. You know, who knows us? Our names are nowhere near anywhere, <laughs> you know? So in verse 16, what does he say? He says, I will be with you. You know, in other words, you and me together are a majority. You can see that in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. You know, you will strike down all the Midianites together. In other words, this will be a cinch or a piece of cake. That's what God is trying to tell Gideon. You know, in verse 27 to 29 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You know, many of us miss God's will for our lives because we just can't see ourselves in the role God has for us. But when God meets us, he will always start with a word of encouragement, telling us, you can be more than you are right now. And when we protest, he says what? I'm with you. <laughs> After God meets us and shows us our potential, he takes the next step to change us from nervous wrecks to courageous warriors. And that is the next step that we're going to be talking about now. So step number two, the test. In Judges 6 verse 25, it says, That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. So the background of the story is that during this time of oppression and depression in Israel, they had decided to try out false gods, right? You know, they were compromising their faith. So God said what? Gideon, I have a little task for you to be, to do before you take on the Midianites, right? You know that altar behind your father's house there? Right? In the backyard, you tear down and replace it with an altar to me. So, God is testing Gideon here. You know, F.B. Meyer said what? We are first tested in the less before being called to the greater. You know, Gideon first had to prove himself with a small task before he could be trusted with the big task. You know, before God will ever use you in a significant way, he will test you. You know, it may be a test of lordship. 
And if Gideon goes and tears down the Baal in his backyard, he is proving his allegiance to God. God wants to see who or what is number one in your life. What is the Baal in your backyard? What consumes all your attention this morning? Is it a friendship? A career path? A status symbol? Achievement? Or maybe your own image? You know, God is going to test you in that very area to see whether or not you will cut down that idol and make him number one in your life. You know, before Gideon could lead others to righteousness, he first had to be righteous himself. Secondly, it may be a test of relationship. You know, Gideon was asked to start right in his own home with his own family. He had to confront family tradition. He had to break away from the past and stand up to his own father. Isn't that one of the hardest places to live out your discipleship? In your own home. Do you ever limit what you do as a Christian because of what others might think? You know, are you someone who does a great job at keeping family members from getting upset? Let's just keep the peace. Now, boy, I ain't trying to rock the boat here too much now, boy. You know, and I don't know why we may do these things, but the truth is, is that it really challenges our convictions, right? You know, you know, at the end of the day, our convictions become watered down because we're trying to please God and we're trying to please others at the same time. Most times I've found it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, the most difficult opposition a disciple experiences is generally from their closest friends and family members. You know, before Gideon could reform a nation, he first had to reform his home. You know, you could see that in 1 Timothy 3 verse 5, you know. And then we go in our third um, test is the test of discipleship. You know, Gideon was a warrior. And by that, I mean, he worried about what his father would think about him in verse 27. He worried about what the men of the city would do to him in verse 27 as well. He worried about whether or not he was really hearing from God in verse 17. He worried that he had gotten the message wrong in verse 36. So what? He tries a meal offering and fleece to ask God to convince him he shouldn't be worried. You know, God even gave him the reassurance of overhearing the dream of one of the Midianites in the camp. You see that in verse 10 to 11 in chapter 7, right? If you read further on. You know, so that, uh, the plan was, of course, he was concerned about Gideon's worrying and said, you know what, let me try to reassure you here. So I'll, I'll have you overhear one of these guys, you know. I mean, it's like, wow. And, and what happened was the Midianites had already started to dream that they were going to be annihilated by Israel. 
You know, worry and trust in God cannot coexist. The path of discipleship is blocked if a person has a stronghold of worry in their life. In order to make us more Christ-like, God may test us in this area and prove himself to us so we can learn to replace worry with trust. You know, before Gideon could trust God in the battle, he had to trust God with his worries. So after meeting with God and testing the testing of God, we are transformed from what? From warriors, right? To warriors, right? By the filling of God. You know, I hope we don't try to skip the test because that testing time is to really refine us so we get to that phase where we can be filled with God's power. It allows for us to, to, to be emboldened and be courageous. Okay? So the third one, and this is the last of the three. So we went through the calling, or sorry, the meeting, I would say. Then we now, we went through the testing. Now we're at the filling. So once we go all in, God fills us with his power. In Judges 6 verse 34, it says what? Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and blew, he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. Wow. I mean, you could almost see Gideon in his glory, right? Some cape or rope or robe around him and, and he's like, like a mighty warrior from where we started in, 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 in a few verses in chapter 6. At, at the beginning, you could see where Gideon was very, very fearful. <laughs> he's trying to hide, but now he's at the forefront, leading the troops out. So what? Here's where Gideon receives God's power. You know, he has been met by God. He has been tested by God, and now God's power enters his life. You know, God's power always comes after God's testing. You know, in Hebrew, the phrase, the Spirit came upon Gideon, means the Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. It's like saying, Gideon, I'm going to take over your body. Now he has the spiritual power to go with his new identity of mighty warrior. No longer nervous, but courageous. Now Gideon's first God-empowered act was to blow a trumpet to call the people to assemble for battle. His new role of leader was validated by the fact that 32,000 men responded to his call. Now, under the power of the Holy Spirit, Gideon obeys God in a series of very baffling instructions. His new character of mighty warrior is further being proven by his unquestioning obedience. You know, it takes faith to follow God's leading, of course, right? When that leading makes absolutely no sense to us. So look at what it, what it says. First, Gideon asked, who is afraid? And 22,000 men raised their hands. He sends them home. Right? Next, Gideon has them drink, take a drink, right? And sends home 9,700 more men because of their drinking method. And that left 300 men. Still, Gideon obeys even though the odds are now 
450 to 1. And the battle seems hopeless. So, I mean, he had a lot of courage to continue along this trend, right? You know, obviously he was filled with God. So the next thing God asks is that they assemble their weapons. Now, check this out, right? This is what we go to war with, right? Clay pots, horns, and torches. That's it. <laughs> you know, can't you just see Gideon saying, you know, are we taking this whole God uses the foolish things of the world just a little too far now? <laughs> you know, God not only uses unlikely people, he also uses unlikely strategies. I don't know if you remember, you could recall... Uh, um, Joshua uh, taking the Israelites to march around Jericho seven times, right? Oh my goodness, talk about unconventional, but that's who God is, you know? You know, they surrounded the Midianite camp in the middle of the night. Their torches covered by the clay pots and the signal, they blew the horns broke the pots, held up the torches, and then stood there and watched as the startled Midianite army annihilated each other. Wow. I mean, you gotta just hand it to God. I mean, sometimes we think we know what we're doing, and we think our strategy is much better than any other strategy. And then God comes along and just turns it on its head. And we're thinking, man, we're doomed to fail. But God is like, no, I'm in charge. I'm the one. You got to trust me. You know, I will do something very, very different from what you think needs to happen. And I think we have to understand that this is how God rules, <laughs> so to speak. You know, sometimes God has given us a new identity or a new calling. But the path on which he takes us doesn't make sense. Now Gideon probably thought that running out there with 300 guys armed with clay pots was not exactly the path to mighty warrior he had envisioned. But a person who is filled with God's power is also a person who trusts God. Always remember that. He obeys God even when it seems confusing. Confusing. You know, that man or woman does not hesitate to go all in because they are moving on the power of God and not theirs. I don't know about you, but I, I, I struggle with that. I want to know that what I have planned is going to work. I want to know that what I'm doing, I can see it. it, it it's, it's proof. It, it's, it's proven. It's tested. It's tried, you know. I, I feel like, man, one plus one equals two, right? So there is a method here that I want to hold on to and continue to use. But sometimes God comes and he says, no, no, no. I, I'm going to turn that thing totally upside down. And sometimes I think for us, we don't like that. We don't like when God comes and upsets the day. We want things to go the way we want it. We want to see things happen the way we see it. We want things to, 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 to trend and to, to, to plan out the way 
We planned it out. But when God steps in, he changes the whole game. So let me tell you a story. You know, a few months ago, I believe it is now, uh, one of the brothers came up to me and said, hey, I have a friend who has a couple of friends who are trying to get married, right? And uh, they're looking for a minister to marry them. And um, he asked me, you know, would I be willing to, to help in that regard? And I said, well, I have no problem. You know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm new to this thing. I've only done maybe five weddings, but by all means, you know, I'd love to help. But I said to them, I said to him, let the couple um, call me or let's, let's talk to them so we can talk about what the plans would be and we could meet up. And at the time, I thought to myself, you know what? The one thing that I want to do is to at least share with them the gospel message. You know, I believe that God instituted marriage and his goal for marriage is that a man and woman be united and become one flesh and remain that way until they die. You know, until at least one part, so to speak. So I met with this couple um, a few weeks later and we talked and I asked them, you know, what are, they, what are they looking for? We talked about the details. But I just told them, you know, frankly, hey, guess what? I'm a minister of the gospel. And marriage to me cannot be done any other way than God's way. Because he's the one who instituted it. And I shared my faith with them. And out of that, you know, we started to study the Bible, my wife and I, with both of them. And long story short, um, they got married. And a few days later, the wife was baptized and you know you know I, I look back at that story and I think wow <laughs> had what it had it been up to me I would not have thought that that would have been a plan to help someone to come to know God and it just showed me that you know God's way is often not my way you know and um it just kind of really, really stood out to, my, to me as I looked at this story with Gideon. And I wanted to share it with you. You know, this is our sister Landa, who was baptized a few weeks ago. And um, it's just really, really inspiring to see what God has done. You know, and her husband, um, Sean, he is studying the Bible as well too. And trusting, I'm trusting that God will work on his heart and in his life. And, you know, he will come to, to a knowledge of the truth. And accept it as well too. I, I don't know what God is doing in your life. You know, maybe you envision what spirituality is supposed to look like. Maybe you've been taught that in order to, to have a relationship with God, you know, I have to have a spiritual encounter. You know, the truth is, is that, you know, God, when you think about the context of the thousands of years of existence of man on this earth, and God's relationship with them. This very, it's, it's a handful of, of, of times where God has done what he's done when we see in the, in the Bible. Most times he speaks to us through people and situations. And I encourage you this morning, if you are not a disciple, then you got to ask yourself, is God trying to meet with me right now? Is it that he wants me to think about my life even more and consider 
what is that going to look like? You know, I trust that, you know, once we meet with God, guess what? You will be tested because you're going to look at his word and you're going to be like, wow, my life doesn't match up. And trust me, that's a guarantee, <laughs> you know. And once you meet that challenge, then the test would be, are you going to respond? Are you going to trust him with your life? And I hope you will. You know, God has a plan for every one of us, no matter where we're at in our lives. No matter where we're at emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually, He wants to use us. You know, so the question is, have you met God? Has He been calling you? What has your response been like? You know, you can do something significant for God. Why? Because He believes in you. Are you in a time of testing? I believe we all are in this pandemic. You know, is God seeing what is going on in your life? And, 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 and can he see that he is number one? Or is there something else taking his place or someone else? Maybe you need to do something radical to clean up your house spiritually. You know, maybe you need to start on your own family. <laughs> You know, maybe that's where you start in your own home. Are you in a battle? Or are you in the battle? If you haven't been filled with God's power, you're probably fatigued from trying to fight on your own strength. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to be with your God. Spend time with Him. Strengthen your walk and your relationship with Him. Let His strength take you. Let Him let him clothe himself with you so that you can be a mighty warrior as well. You know, you need to be filled with God's power. Then obey what he asks of you, even if it doesn't make sense. You know, as we close out today with the, the postscript to this story, it happens to be a pretty disturbing one. You know, Gideon's moment of brilliance was just that. A moment. The time from his meeting with God to his glorious victory was probably one week. One week. But the rest of Gideon's life after that high point was spent in spiritual compromise, idol worship, moral failure. He collected gold from everyone and formed an ephod that became the new idol and it became a snare to Gideon to his house in verse 27 of chapter 8. You know, his father, or he fathered, sorry, 70 sons, wow, with his many wives, and he even had a concubine. Yes, he was the leader of the land, the judge, but he used his position for personal profit, sensual pursuits, and, re and a return to spiritual bankruptcy. So, while Gideon's story is a great encouragement to the nervous, the worried, the bullied, and the runtiest of the runts out there today, he is also a great warning to the victorious. His life tells us that we won't experience continued victory over evil unless we walk consistently by faith. We may have great accomplishments in the past, but that 
But those accomplishments will not secure victory for us in the future if we do not continue living by faith in God and His Word. So are you nervous when it comes to the things of God? Then turn to Him. Invite Him to meet with you. Take the test. Be filled. But instead, let's do it to the end. God bless you. Have a great day.